The Big Album Show is the big show where Paul Dillon and Dan O'Neill cast our minds back at some of the greatest records of all time. We're talking about the albums that define our greatest bands, the albums that have been the soundtrack to many of our lives, the albums that we still listen to day in, day out. From Marvin Gaye to the Manic Street Preachers, the Strokes to Sinead O'Connor, Joni Mitchell to the Fugees, we've got you covered on the Big Album Show. We look back at the albums that mean so much to so many people and tell you why they mean so much to us. The Big Album Show stands for, I think, community, funnily enough, because what you often get when you record a pod is this big emotional response uh, from fans of the bands. The value of The Big Album Show is that it connects with people for whom music and for whom albums is, is really, really important. So check out the show, listen back to our episodes. We know you'll enjoy them. Catch us from wherever we get your pods and follow us everywhere at The Big Album Show. You're listening to The Big Album Show with Paul Dillon and Dan O'Neill. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of The Big Album Show with me, Paul. And me, Dan. Tonight, we are talking about one of the greatest albums of the 1990s. Um, If you were a sentient being in the mid to late 90s, you will have been humming along to the tunes on Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette, which is the feature of this uh, edition of the big album show. It's a defining album of the era. It's a defining album of our career. And indeed, uh, it's a defining point on many people's musical uh, journey. Um, It's at times deeply personal uh, and intimate occasionally whimsical uh, and indulge me uh, for a moment uh, it's occasionally quite ironic in that it deals with very heavy themes um, but slides into exuberance and joy uh, a lot of times it's poppy grungy and always melodic and catchy it produced uh, five singles transported Alanis Morissette uh, to global superstardom 27 year on, years on it still attracts uh, deep affection and maybe just a little bit of nostalgia. Dan, how was it for you returning to the scene of Jagged Little Pill by Alanis 27 years on? Well, there's no doubt that this is one of the iconic albums of that period. You know, anyone who was around at that time has some kind of memory of the album and listening to the album and uh, watching the videos on MTV Europe, if you're in this part of the world around that time. Yeah. Um, it 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 ha- it, it, it still <clears throat> means a lot to so many people, and um, you can just see in the comments on social media and on, on message boards and 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 various platforms. Anytime that this album is mentioned, people tell deep stories about particular songs on the album and how they affected them. And um, as you say, there was five massive singles on this side of the Atlantic off the album, six in the United States, um, and all of them stand up as quality um, melody-driven singles with fantastic choruses. And, um, of course, Alanis had the help of Glenn Ballard writing um, some of the songs on this album, and he was involved in writing songs with Michael Jackson on Thriller, Bad, and 
dangerous. So he's, you know, a high caliber songwriter. Um, but one of the things that I love about this album, uh, or at least some of the songs on the album, is that you can really hear the rawness of the songs. So I, I, I believe that most, if not all, of the vocals were recorded in less than two takes. Like Alanis used to go into the studio. She used to write the song there and then. They used to record the song almost straight afterwards, and then she'd drive home at the end of the day listening to the song they'd created. Um, so there is a rawness to the, this album, but at the same time, when you listen to the album, I think you can kind of, it sounds like an album from the mid-90s, the kind of production of it, the sound of the drums, the, the, the just the kind of, timbre of the of the music it does sound like um an album from that period so while it is kind of raw and, and so on um it does kind of have a vibe of mid 90s um you know like there's guitars in it with a kind of a really kind of chorusy effect on them and so 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 it's interesting um, and and great musicians on the album as well yeah like you had people like flea from the red hot chili peppers david navarro from from jane's addiction and not on the album but he played on the jagged little pill tour with alanis you had taylor hawkins who went on to be the drummer in in foo fighters so alanis morissette was surrounded by incredible musicians um during this period yeah, I think they managed to do something unique and incredibly special. And she was 21 at the time. She had done, of course, two kind of poppy, dancey sort of albums, which had been hits in Canada and, and nowhere else. Um, and then she, she, she does this. And I think the victory, I mean, I agree with absolutely everything you've said, but the victory is Alanis's alone in that it's her personality um, that shines through her experience and her emotion uh, that shines through each of the tracks, uh, which makes this special. But I think you're absolutely right about that. I think there's something magic in the figures that were around at that time. And you mentioned the production of the record and the, the, the songwriting. Ten years after this, uh, she did an acoustic uh, album uh, of Jagged Little Pill, where she re-recorded all the songs acoustically. And I recall that at the time, and I went back and listened to it again when this uh, to prepare for this pod. And um, you... I, I, I remember thinking at the time, feeling that let down, because I remember thinking when we get acoustic versions of these songs, they're going to be totally raw, totally pure. But she never it, it, it didn't repeat itself. So there was something special in the recording of it and in the making of it. The genius of this record for me, Dan, is the relationship between Alanis Morissette and the listener it's how she established that relationship the songs for me are like a series of deep intimate exchanges between two people who know each other rather well uh, the thing that she does is that she often addresses the listener directly and that establishes that relationship between the fan uh, and the artist or between the listener and Alanis um, so someone I admire very much in the theatre world is Raymond Keane and he talks about um you know, the idea of the clown uh, uh, being in direct conversation with the audience. And what she does here is that she is in direct conversation with the listener. I think that sort of explains why so many people have such a great affinity to this record. Now, I have a lot of examples of this, but I think you can see it really clearly 
on the first track, uh, All I Really Want. Now, this is a great opener. I think she's got an eye here to maybe uh, Bob Dylan's All I Really Want to Do, which uh, his first track on Another Side, or maybe Joni Mitchell's All I Want, which kicks off uh, the Blue Album. Um, but what she does here is, is just really terrific, Dan. I think, you know, where she says, do I stress you out? My sweater is on backwards and inside out. And you say, how appropriate. So she sets it up mm. as a conversation from the get-go. And later in the song, she says, enough about, about me. Let's talk about you for a minute. And I think that she creates an intimacy a connection with the listener. You can hear it again on Mary Jane, which I, I think is really deeply moving, deeply caring, warm, delicate, incredibly strong, direct, honest. Um, and I think that's the common thread that unites these songs. And I think that's why it's so special uh, for so many people. I think it's a, a wonderful point. You can almost imagine Alanis reaching through the stereo, embracing the listener and saying to the listener, it's okay to feel the way you feel. It's okay to feel angry or disappointed or, or, or whatever the feeling is in a particular song. Um, and that's what you feel Alanis is doing in her complete and utter honest conversation with the listener. Um, and it's almost like um, a stream of consciousness sometimes. And like when she brought some of the lyrics to her co-writer um, and, and, and put them in front of him. Like in, in one of the songs she has, in, in, you know, she uses the, the F word um, in, in, in You Ought to Know. And uh, she said, oh, well, maybe we should change that at some point. And he said, well, do, do you feel that? Is that how you feel? And she said, yeah, well, that is how I feel. And he said, well, well let's keep it. And that was the approach she took from then on. And she was so right. And she's so talented in, in terms of how she manages to uh, convey feelings that a lot of people have, but in her own way and through her own experience. And it was interesting when you, when you mentioned that Alanis had other albums before this that were more kind of dancey, more poppy, more, more kind of traditional in, in, in some senses. Um, and then she comes to say she's dropped from her, initial uh, record label MCA and she goes and creates Jagged Little Pill and my hot take of the night anyway is that when I, I hope listen... you have more than one now Dan in <laughs> fairness <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, yeah we'll see what I can muster up as we go but my first hot take of the night is that when I listen to Jagged Little Pill I actually I, I hear influences from some well-known um, singers of that period that we covered in the show before if you listen back to previous episodes and who I hear coming through are the likes of Sinead O'Connor but particularly Dolores O'Riordan because if you think about the, the period this came out in 1995 the Cranberries had just released their two biggest albums in the run-up to this and um, so I think like if you look say if you look at Nevermind by Nirvana uh, there, there's a kind of a narrative out there that Metallica's Black Album set up the public to be accepting of Metallica's, um, sorry, of Nirvana's Nevermind by kind of introducing heavier rock into the mainstream around that period. And I think likewise, what the Cranberries do in their first two albums is kind of 
like there's been fantastic female singers throughout musical history so they weren't doing anything completely new but in this period (coughs) Dolores O'Riordan comes along with her incredible kind of honest strong powerful female vocals and she kind of tunes the public ear the public's ears to accept that kind of energy again and Alanis Morissette comes and she adds to that she she with, with with this wonderful album and when I I I kind of thought about this and then I went and I, I did a bit of research and it turns out that one of the engineers on the album Chris Fogel he actually said in an interview that throughout the recording of this album they were listening a lot to the Cranberries and that uh, Alanis was also a massive Sinead O'Connor fan and I think um you know, Alanis Morissette, Sinead O'Connor, Dolores O'Riordan, three incredible singers of that period, three iconic singers of that period. And I think they were all doing something special, uh, really, really, really special. And second hot take of the night is that I think Alanis Morissette has been deeply in, in influential on artists since she's been out. I listen to the charts now. And I look at the likes of uh, Olivia Rodrigo. Yes, and that's her, the one I was thinking. Music, yeah, yes. really, like she, her, her album is is absolutely amazing, fantastic, yeah, amazing, yeah. Re- really, really good stuff. And, and you can, you can, can hear, hear, you can hear Alanis in that the the conversational style, um, the stream of consciousness, almost if that's the correct word. And it's a kind of a slightly rap. There's a times there's a kind of a slightly rapping r- r- rhythmic uh, style of 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 vote of of lyric of singing, um, and then of course that confessional style. That's all there. Um, and I so I mean I, I and I think you're absolutely right to reference Sinead O'Connor and um, you know, another one, just Tori Amos as well would have been exactly. a trailblazer. Uh, I think in in terms of Joni Mitchell, of course. I mean, when I heard it at the time, Joni Mitchell was the one that I always thought of, and I always heavily associated her with that. But one of the things, Dan, you know, that what you're talking about there is it's quite heavy and quite serious. A lot of what you've been saying there, and I I don't disagree with any of it. But there's an other side of this record that's Mm. incredibly fun and melodic, and you know, so she's quite funny. So the ironic, the song "Ironic" is quite funny. It's and it's it's you know, people have had a lot of fun with that song ever since, you know, and because the lyrics are funny. And um, there's exuberance at times. There's joy at times. You know, a song like a hand over, um, head over feet. You can you can hear that. You can hear the joy. You can hear the exuberance. You can hear the fun. You can hear the happiness. The video that goes with that is absolutely brilliant. I mean, the head over feet video is superb. If people haven't seen it, go check it out. It's brilliant. Alanis Morissette is a brilliant actor. You can see her in different things. She's in uh, one of the Sex and City Sex and City episodes. There's a cameo part, terrific. She's just a great performer. So in that Head Over Feet video, there she is in the, the 1990s uh, Adidas tracksuit type thing. She wears a number of them, different colors. She's kind of got a pair of those kind of flares. So it's very 90s. I mean, it's kind of close that I wore in the 90s, briefly in fashion. Uh, so that's the last time I was in fashion. So I can, <laughs> I, I'm quite familiar with it. But, you know, in all, it's a serious point I'm making. Uh, mm. The serious fun here, the serious joy going on here, as well as anger, um, as well as deep emotion. There's there's a lot of exuberance and joy, and even you know when she does that, you know, um, head over feet, which is you know probably one of my favorite tracks uh, on the album. The video for that is just her 
talking into the screen more or less or, or singing into the screen more or less but sometimes she sings sometimes she doesn't sing and that's the video and she co-directed it and it's incredibly effective it's incredibly emotional but at times she's kind of smiling and laughing so there's a there's a whole range of, of emotions happening here isn't it? and i just wanted to mention the videos dan because i don't know how, how you you found them but i mean i just loved going back over these videos i just thought that you know they're all terrific in five singles uh, in this part of the world six in the states great videos accompanying them and this was a of course the era when you needed your heavy rotation on mtv um, and she certainly got that i mean so much you could say about the videos but just to reference the ironic video which again people will remember i remember very well it was on top 30 hits heavy rotation back in the 90s in ireland um but in that i think there's four different alanis morissettes um, and there she is driving the car talking over her head to the and that's the um waiting for Godot thing it's the um it's the uh, you, you know there's so much going on when I, when I say waiting for Godot I mean they're they're doing nothing but they're but some but a hell of a lot is happening and um, and you can just that device is just so clever and you know she just delivers it so well it's such a charismatic performer and um, and of course you know so for me what you get with Alanis is you get these great tunes, these great melodies, but you get this raw emotion, but you also get this amazing performer. And here's the thing. Was she performing at all? Was it all just, was it completely real? And that's the thing that, you know, sets her apart from so many people of the time you know i mean many of the bands that we love and we like so much things that we've done on the big album show you could hardly say they were being honest you know in fact you know looking like a band like some of them are being highly you know there's huge amounts of um whether it be um irony i've done been a bit ironic and dealing with, dealing with that but i've done that joke already but you know what i'm saying dan is alanis morris said packages it up just she plays a straight bat and I think that sort of emotion connects with the audience. My three favorite tracks uh, for what it's worth would be Mary Jane, which I've referenced, my, and then Head Over Feet and probably probably one hand in my pocket. But it's a, you know, it, it, it's, it's a hard one or, or, or possibly you learn. I mean, I'm, we, we normally do three top mm-hmm. tracks. So I'm, I'm doing four and I'm, I'm have, I have a difficulty saying which of those is, is, is my favorite. But, you know, they're my favorite tracks. They're my top tracks. How about you, Dan? Do you have some top tracks on the on the record? Yeah, like I love all the tracks you've mentioned there. Um, like imagine having a, a, an album with like five or six quality singles at the level of the singles of this album. Like each one of them, uh, they're, they're those kind of songs that um, you don't have to be an Alanis Morissette fan to, um, you know, intimately know the song. You know, like back to Ironic for a moment, like... <clears throat> the video was set in a car, but I think most people around our age can remember being in a car in the mid nineties, listening to that song and someone in the car kind of bopping along to the chorus. Because as you say, while there's great emotion, there's, there's great joy in the music and kind of liberation in the music as well. But my top song <coughs> of those songs would probably be you ought to know. Um, I think it's so visceral. It's so, so strong. Um, but it, it again, it, it's kind of like liberating as well, listening to it, um, because that chorus is, is, is just fantastic. You know, Alanis is shouting, you ought to know, um, at, at, at her former, former lover, um, it seems. And, uh, 
when, when you when you look at Alanis performing this live on YouTube, like you can just see the crowd screaming yeah. the words back and feeling the words as they're screaming it. And of course, this is the song that had uh, Dave Navarro and Flea um, playing music on it. So you have Flea's um, brilliant, brilliant kind of brilliant musicianship on it. Um, it. It's just a really, really powerful, strong track. I, I love it. And like, there's no other track. I, I can't think of another song out there that actually sounds like it. It's it's yeah. it kind of stands alone as one of these songs that you say, yeah, that's you ought to know, and it's it sounds original and it's still it doesn't sound like it's been um I- imitated since. It's kind of one of those wow. songs that just sounds like itself and it's it's fantastic. I I think I think you're absolutely right. I think she's inspired a hell of a lot of people, but she hasn't got very many people who've copied her or managed to copy her. Now, there was Meredith Brooks probably came closest with, with you know, that song, um, I'm a bitch. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. remember that one? But, but, but I mean, there's been a few copycats, but I mean, generally speaking, what she's done is just inspired so many people. Mm. And I mean, I, I think we should come back to a minute, Dan, to our place in music history. You, mm. you, you, you've already started that conversation. But one thing I just <laughs> wanted to, to, to mention was that when we put up that we were doing this pod, we got a really interesting response from people on Twitter. Anne-Marie said, this record has never aged, still listen regularly. Kira, my absolute all-time favourite. This one from Susan, I grew up with Alanis, like everything all the way along, right to this day, she resonates deeply, uh, makes sense because uh, she's just three years older than me. And most importantly, what I really want became the anthem to my ADHD diagnosis aged 40 plus and I mean there's definitely a huge connection that I think mm. between Alanis and the Irish audience I can recall the 1996 she did gig she did in the point as part of Fela uh, that was put out live on the radio at the time um, and you could get the gig afterwards um, people you recorded on tapes and you could buy them in Dublin city centre in the in the record shops so um, if anyone's got a little tape you know you, you might you, you you can put it you get, you, you, you'll become a get up on YouTube you get lots of people listening but um i remember when she was doing ironic the crowd went completely quiet and some people in the front were singing and people were telling them shut up be quiet you know and and again that just has this connection with the audience and my take on it for what it's worth dan is one of the big reasons why she has this big relationship with the irish audience is the emotion of the record and and i was working on an interview that she did not long not too long ago on on this morning in in britain that show um and she said that when she was young, she wasn't allowed to feel emotion, no mm. fear, no anger, no sadness. And as a result, she felt them all. And that this album, she put that all out there. And you can just imagine in a country like Ireland coming from the position we have and, you know, that 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 how that would resonate with people, that release. Um, and for me, that's, you know, what she manages to do and what she still manages to do and i want to come back to that dan because i've got a few things to say on what she's been doing since but that for me um is the reason that this album was so successful that connection with the audience the pure rawness of the emotion her personality her honesty her directness and the skill and the, the skill in terms of the melodies yeah it, and it, like another thing i noticed about Alanis's description of uh, writing and recording this album is something like I found as we're doing the big album show, we're on about 22 or 23 episodes now, and we've talked about many albums. Do listen back if you haven't heard our previous episodes. 
but trends begin I to emerge. <laughs> that was a good plug, wasn't it? But uh, tre- trends uh, begin to emerge, I, I feel. Um, and one yeah. trend that's emerged throughout all of the various albums we've looked at is that songwriters seem to say that songs almost emerge magically um, rather than, uh, you know, being written. Now, sometimes that's not the case. But but Alanis, when she was talking about this album, she said 80 percent of the album is original demos. She said the songs pretty much wrote themselves. She said, I don't have much of a say. They feel channeled. And I sometimes I don't even remember writing them. It's and and I just think it's this incredible trend that seems to um, happen, whereby really powerful songwriters, or I'm sure it's the same with poetry, or you know, playwriting, or 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 any kind of uh, any one of the arts, that um, these incredible artists seem to get into a state of flow where uh, the, the 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 music just kind of emer- emerges from from the subconscious, and um, Never more so than in this album, you know. This is this has gone very, very deep altogether, Dan. You know, I mean, I'm not sure if I can, not sure if I can deal with this level of depth, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but no, no, listen, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right, and and I mean, I think that sometimes the great records, they, they, I mean, you, you know, I mean, I mean, what what she manages to do here, and the genius of it is that she manages to tap into something that's almost. Har- it, it's it's almost hard to explain how they ma- how she managed uh, to do it. Now I think it would be true to say that she never quite managed to do it again. You yeah. know, <laughs> which which is you know, I mean, she certainly has managed to do it consistently with her singles. So I mean, since this record, I mean, consistently you can hear ex- very very strong tracks. And some of my favorite Alanis Morissette tracks are not on this record, but she never managed to repeat that, um, whatever magic ingredient was going on there, whatever was emerging. She never quite managed to repeat that in my view, but she Mm. did manage repeatedly to deliver in terms of her her singles, which many of them are just so terrific. So I think after this record, there was a a three-year break, not a three-year break, because she toured, I think, for 18 months constantly, including not just countries back to back but at times continents back to back and Radiohead were briefly with her and things went so bad they they <laughs> they made a quote they made okay computer but anyway the the um you know the point I'm getting at is that the next record was um she went off to India I think for a period of of two months with her mom and her aunts as you do um, and she came back and she recorded supposed former infatuation junkie um, and that record didn't scale the heights um, of Jagged Little Pill, but it did produce three terrific singles. Thank You, of course, being the first one, um, but also also Unsent and So Pure. And I mean, Thank You is just such a beautiful song and such a beautiful video. Um, and, she, you know, and since then, you know, you can hear the quality of her work. It's never, it, it, as I said, it album wise she never quite got the success again but she certainly has it uh, in the singles i mean you know the the next album um under rogue swept she had hands clean which is just such a terrific song precious illusions another terrific song then in so-called chaos she had everything um, which sounds a lot like something that could have been on Jagged Little Pill. But just to bring it up to date, her last record, Such Pretty Forks in the Road, and um, the lead single on that was Reasons I Drink, 
um, and the video is uh, an AA meeting. Um, but the other big single is a blaze, which is about her life with her with her husband and three children. Um, and, uh, you know, that's her most recent record. And I think it was last year during the height of lockdown, she did um, a blaze on the Jimmy Fallon show. Um, and I just love this, Dan, that she did it with her with her daughter in her arms um because obviously they were recording it remotely all over the world that musicians were in different parts of the were were in different locations um and you know she, there she is with her daughter and the daughter at times interrupts the song um, and when you listen to a blaze i listened to it with my own daughter and she absolutely loved it she really really, really responded to it really really well um, and it's just this consistency in Alanis Morissette's career of consistently being real, uh, for want of a better word, consistently being honest and consistently bringing her personality and putting it all out there. Um, And I think that for me uh, is what's particularly special uh, about her and which assures her place uh, in rock history. And I think we owe so much um, to the likes of Alanis Morissette or Sinead O'Connor or Dolores O'Riordan because we're lucky now to live in an age where we have fantastic female-led bands like uh, Wet Leg, um, Snail Mail, Haim, Phoebe Bridgers, Taylor Swift, you know, uh, we mentioned Olivia Rodrigo and so on. But these are, 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 you know, these are, are, are the, the heroes of the, the music world at the moment. Um, when, uh, when, when Alanis was at her height, it, you know, definitely looking back at that period, particularly in the kind of indie rock space, I, I feel it was much harder for female artists to break through for, for various reasons. Um, and, 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 that, and I think that was wrong. Um, and I'm, I'm glad it's changing. But the fact that Alanis and Sinead and Dolores and, and, and Tori Amos and so on, like really paved the way for the artists we see today. Like we really owe them a depth of gratitude because um, they were just... They must have been they're, they're like they were incredibly strong and talented to, to break through in, in that setting. Um, so just big kudos to them. Like we really, really do owe them a, a depth of gratitude. Yeah, I think that's right, Dan. I mean, if you look back, I mean, one of the things we're going to be doing this year is looking back at the Britpop era. It's 25 years since 1997, which was the the height maybe of the Britpop uh, era and, and entirely male dominated. So to the, the grunge scene. Um, and you know, so that's all I think that that's absolutely spot on. What you say, if I have a reservation about this record, um, it comes at the end because I, I do think that one of the problems in producing an album with so many very good, high quality tracks is that when you put something on a record that's comparatively a bit weaker, things start to look a bit stayed. Um, and for me, I think, uh, not the doctor and wake up they come at the end and they are comparatively weaker tracks. Um, it's just my take. It's just my, my feeling. I mean, I think the first, the, 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 the first, uh, mo- the first half of the record is terrific. Um, and then there's the, there's a, there's a run of really big tunes and then it just ends slightly. It, it goes down slightly for me downhill at the end. Um, but for me, I mean, this is a terrific record. This one, has its place in rock history one of the i think it sold 34 million copies it's a it's a huge seller it was also one of the last tape sellers so Mm. if you have this on a tape it's possibly the last uh record that you bought on a tape because by 1998 sorry by 97 actually 
big records um that were released they they stopped produce they stopped releasing them on tape um so she got in there in 95 two years before that and um, but for me dan it gets eight out of ten um great record place in history is short yeah yeah i, I i'd agree with that uh, eight out of ten is 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 a really really good mark and i think it's 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 well deserved like this isn't an album it's an album that i i had on tape back in the day it it, it isn't an album uh, was it honest. one of the last tapes you bought probably 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 yeah, that's a good take i had in fairness wasn't <laughs> yeah, it, really, really good really good no Class. definitely but but like the the thing about it is it, i to be honest with the listeners like a, it's not like a not figure a, how to Derek Juan, sorry no no no, no but it's to be honest with the listeners it's not an album i've listened to a great deal since then um and 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 going back to it was was fantastic. It it really brought back um great memories. Like all of the songs, all of the singles off it are are, are an incredible iconic, and it really does stand up as an incredibly powerful album. So I think yeah, definitely eight out of ten is is well deserved. What 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 are we gonna say about the the old tapes there, Paul? I was just going to say, I mean, if I could, if I could find a way of tweeting that about the, it being the last big tape, uh, you know, I could be onto something, you know. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> to conclude, listen, thank you very much to our listeners for uh, checking out this uh, big album show podcast. If you like what we do. We beg you on our knees. We implore you to please like us on social media if you can at the Big Album Show. If you want, if you can, no pressure, um, but do it uh, at the Big Album Show. Like us Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and please do subscribe and give us a little review and leave a few stars. Give us a rating, whatever you like. Uh, we really appreciate any support. And please, if you like the podcast at all, please we would really appreciate to um, maybe tell somebody else and share. Uh, and we really appreciate that, wouldn't we? Yeah, and do remember, we have loads of episodes um, that we've recorded o- over the past year. And uh, like the great thing about this show is that because we're talking about old albums, our, our shows aren't really time bound. So you can go right back to the start and listen to our first podcast and work your yeah. way back. And none of them will sound out of date because uh, we don't talk about uh, boring things like uh, current or stressful things. Anyway, like current affairs and so on on this show, uh, we stick to the music. So, um, yeah, it's it, it's probably a nice bit of relief for people to, 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 to indulge themselves in that. And we are a community. So do listen along to the albums with us. Do share your hot takes with us. And uh Thank you for listening. We really, really appreciate it. And we we certainly get a lot out of recording this podcast, don't we, Paul? Absolutely, we do. And uh, thanks to everyone for their support. Sloan. You're listening to The Big Album Show with Paul and Dan. Please remember to subscribe, hit like, and remember to follow us on our social media platforms at The Big Album Show. Yeah.